Franz von Papen was a very defensive man. It was after the conclusion of World War II, and he felt he was being blamed for things that were not his fault. Remember, Papen was an influential politician in Germany in the early 1930s. He was at one time chancellor and had a close relationship with German President Paul von Hindenburg. After the war, Padman came under high scrutiny for his role in bringing about the Nazi regime. The atrocities of Hitler and the Nazis were now known to the world, and there was an accounting for those responsible. Most notably, this happened at the Nuremberg Trials, which was an international court to bring justice for those responsible for the horrors of the Nazis. Papin defended himself. He was accused of ushering in the Nazi regime, of playing a large role in bringing Hitler to power. He felt he was innocent. He wrote memoirs defending his actions. The truth is, though, that it's hard to neglect his instrumental role in bringing about a Hitler chancellorship. Papin was complicit. On December 16, 1932, Papin spoke before 300 people at a famous club in Berlin. The club was putting on a dinner to honor him. Remember, by this time Papin had been replaced as German Chancellor by Kurt von Schleicher. And, as we discussed in last week's episode, the Nazis were reeling. Soon, though, the two forces would join together to help each other out in their pursuit of political power. Papin used the speech to recap and defend his time as Chancellor and to scrutinize Schleicher's government. He also spoke of the need to incorporate the Nazis into leadership positions. Since Papin left his post as chancellor, he remained active politically, albeit behind the scenes. Schleicher proposed that he be an ambassador to France, but he declined in order to stay close to Hindenburg. The Reich president had suggested that Papin pass on the opportunity to remain in Berlin to offer him counsel on difficult political decisions. The two were close. In fact, Hindenburg liked Papin more than Schleicher and talked with him more often even after Schleicher had been made chancellor. Papin himself still desired political glory. As his actions through the course of December and January would indicate, he still had aspirations for a leadership position in the German government. While Papin addressed the crowd on December 16th, a prominent banker from Cologne was listening. Kurt von Schroeder was a Nazi supporter. He wanted Hitler to be chancellor, and made a move that night towards that end. Schroeder and Papin spoke following the speech. He knew Papin, so this wasn't a discussion out of the blue. They talked politics, and the idea came up for a Papin and Hitler meeting. Papin and Hitler could work together to benefit each other. Papin wanted back in the political game, and understood that the Nazis were still the largest political movement in Germany. He wanted the meeting, the very one that turned things around for the Nazis. In this way, Papin was complicit. Meanwhile, Hitler could use Papin's help with Hindenburg because the former chancellor was close with the German president. While Hitler and Papin were not on good terms after all of the animosity and failed discussions of 1932, they could use each other. Schroeder knew both Papin and Hitler and was well suited to put the two back together to talk and work out their differences. On December 28th, Schroeder called Papin, and they set up a meeting for January 4th. Hitler would meet them at Schroeder's place in Cologne, a city in western Germany. The Nazi leader would, after all, have his chance. 
This is the moment we've been building towards this whole series. The moment that turned things around for Hitler and the Nazis. January of 1933 would come to be one of the most decisive months in German history. At the beginning of the month, Hitler was at risk of never gaining power. By the end of it, he would be Chancellor. It all started at a house meeting in Cologne. Welcome to the Points of No Return in History. My name is Dave Knoll. Last week, we looked at how the Nazi movement came to the brink of falling apart. This week, we will see how the movement was saved and how Hitler was made chancellor. Before Hitler even had a chance to meet Papen in Cologne, he had a more urgent crisis to deal with, insurrection within his own ranks. As we explored on the last episode, the second most important Nazi official, Gregor Strasser, resigned from his post on December 8th. This threatened to split the Nazi movement in two, or even derail it altogether. Hitler had to deal with the Strasser crisis. After Strasser announced his resignation, Hitler brought together many Nazi officials, including those close to Strasser. He defended his leadership and attempted to respond to Strasser's accusations. He asked for their allegiance. That night, Hitler met with some of his closest colleagues, propaganda mastermind Josef Goebbels, security head Heinrich Himmler, and the head of his paramilitary, Ernst Röhm. They talked and strategized until the sun came up, deciding to rearrange much of the Nazi organization to soften the blow of the Strasser resignation. They also put a plan in place for the Nazi movement to commit itself in allegiance to Hitler. Meanwhile, Strasser took off for Italy and slowly faded into obscurity. Later, after Hitler took power, he will be murdered by a Hitler decree that ordered the assassination of his political rivals. Hitler had taken care of the Strasser crisis. There would be no party split, and Nazi officials would affirm their allegiance to him. Then, an opportunity presented itself to Hitler. He would meet with Papen at Schroeder's house. Hitler got to Schroeder's home before Papen. It was supposed to be a secret gathering, so he went in using the back door. Accompanying Hitler were three others, including infamous Nazi officials Rudolf Hess and Heinrich Himmler. Papen arrived, and to his surprise, a photographer snapped a picture of him exiting his cab. The secret was out about this supposedly confidential meeting. After Papen entered, he went into a separate room with Hitler and Schroeder. He and Hitler began their conversation. Hitler got some anger and frustration out that had been building inside. He was frustrated at Papen. He firmly believed that he had kept him from being chancellor. He was particularly upset over what had happened during meetings on August 13th of the previous year, when it seemed the Nazis were so close to power. On this day, Papen and Hindenburg turned down Hitler's demands. After this Hitler outburst, they were able to discuss things more reasonably, although nothing much in terms of specifics was worked out. They talked about who would be chancellor of the new cabinet and other related questions. This was progress. Following the meeting, the press reported that Papen and Hitler were conspiring to take down the Schleicher government. Their meeting could certainly be interpreted this way, given the fact that the two were using each other to form a government that would come at the expense of Schleicher. Still, they didn't want it seen this way, and they released a statement that rejected the press reports about a plot to take down Schleicher. Instead, they explained that they met to discuss a right-wing coalition. Meanwhile, Papen worked on getting Hindenburg on board and discussed the meeting with him. Hindenburg advised Papen that the conversation should continue. With just a short meeting, 
Hitler was back in the political hunt. Even Hindenburg was again considering Hitler's ambitions. The key was to build on the momentum moving forward. The Nazis were scratching for any chance they could to turn their momentum around. The Hitler-Papin discussions were a good start. They would have another opportunity with elections in Lipa in mid-January. These were small elections from a state of merely 173,000 people. However, they were important because the Nazis needed a boost in confidence to build momentum again for their movement. If they can make gains over their disappointing performance in the November Reichstag elections a few months prior, it would help in their negotiations with Papen. The Nazis did relatively well, increasing their votes by nearly 6,000 from the November Reichstag elections. Still, the showing wasn't that remarkable. They didn't do as well as they had in July of the previous year. However, they had done enough to make propaganda out of it, to make it feel like they were back on track. Three days later, on January 18th, Papen and Hitler conferred at infamous Nazi Joachim von Ribbentrop's home outside Berlin. The Nazi leader demanded that he be made chancellor. Hitler had more leverage to stand on. The Nazis had performed well enough in Lipa. And currently, Reich Chancellor Schleicher was having trouble governing the country. We'll explore Schleicher's frustration shortly, but suffice it to say that he was at risk of losing Hindenburg's faith. Papen told Hitler that he most likely wouldn't be able to convince Hindenburg to make him chancellor. With this reply, the meeting broke down. Hitler would still not budge on his demands. Ribbentrop had an idea to cut through the impasse. He proposed that the president's son, Oskar von Hindenburg, join the discussion. The meeting was set up to take place on January 22nd. On the night of the 22nd, they met again at Ribbentrop's place. Oskar von Hindenburg joined Papen. While Hitler maintained his demand for the chancellorship, he relented on other things. He would now accept non-Nazis in his cabinet as long as his party retained two cabinet positions. This was a crossroads moment for Papen. He was impressed by these reduced conditions from Hitler. If in this scenario he would be vice-chancellor, he said he would advocate for a Hitler chancellorship. Hitler was making serious progress towards his ultimate goal. These decreased demands from Hitler helped him in his goal of the chancellorship. In fact, to fast forward a little bit, they would help Hindenburg justify to himself giving Hitler the position. And there was another reason he was inching towards his ultimate goal. Current Chancellor Schleicher was having trouble leading Germany. Around this time, Papen asked Hindenburg what he thought of negotiating with Hitler. The German president supported this idea. One of the main reasons he was supportive was the future prospects, or lack thereof, of the current German chancellor, that is, Schleicher. Schleicher was in trouble, and Hindenburg needed to start thinking about other options. Go back with me to a week before the January 22nd Papen-Hitler meeting. During a cabinet gathering, Schleicher brought up the idea of disbanding the Reichstag and delaying the elections that would follow such a move. This was the same idea that Papen had considered at the end of his chancellorship. The problem was that it broke the Weimar Constitution. The other problem was that Hindenburg opposed it when Papen brought it up, and would oppose it now that Schleicher was considering it. However, Schleicher was looking for a way to move forward from his struggles as chancellor. He had failed in his attempt to lure Strasser, and now he had something else to worry about, the growing threat of the collaboration between Papen and Hitler. 
Initially, he was somewhat naive about this partnership. However, he was now aware of the threat. Given these things, Schleicher was mindful that a number of factors made his time as chancellor at risk. He made a plan. He hoped to dissolve the Reichstag. And he would ask Hindenburg to postpone the elections. He was trying to give himself more power and more time to figure things out. Schleicher told Hindenburg about his plan. Hindenburg said that he would think about dissolving the Reichstag, but he would not delay the elections. It was unconstitutional, and it would risk civil war. Ironically, Schleicher had argued as much to Hindenburg back in December when Papen thought of doing the same thing. Schleicher's future as chancellor was now extremely shaky. None of his moves were working, and he did not have the confidence of Hindenburg. What were Hindenburg's options for chancellor? He himself wanted to reinstate Papen, but many were opposed to this. Papen had struggled as chancellor before, and there was no sign it would be any different this time. Hindenburg could also turn to Hitler, but at this point he was still reluctant. Would Hindenburg finally be convinced of a Hitler chancellorship, or would he still be opposed? While Schleicher was ensuring his own downfall, Papen and Hitler were still working towards a solution. On January 23rd, Papen, who is now convinced of Hitler being chancellor, saw Hindenburg to argue as much. Papen, again, was complicit. At this point, the president was still opposed to the idea, even though he knew that the Schleicher cabinet was under threat of falling apart. This would soon change. Things really came into focus on January 28th. This and the following couple days are what we have been building to in this series. These are the days that changed Germany's fate. On the 28th, Schleicher resigned after Hindenburg turned down his idea of dissolving the Reichstag and holding off indefinitely on new elections. Hindenburg now needed a new chancellor. The Reich president then talked with Papen, telling him to ask around regarding the reaction to a Hitler chancellorship. This seemed to be a breakthrough. That day, Papen met with Alfred Hugenberg, the leader of a conservative German political party. While reluctant about Hitler himself, Hugenberg seemed open to him being chancellor. Papen also saw Hitler on the 28th. He maintained his demand for the chancellorship with the power of emergency decree, which would avoid the need to work with the Reichstag majority. He did loosen some other demands, albeit after prodding from colleagues. Papen also called some who had been cabinet members in the past, those who might be part of a future cabinet. They seemed open to a Hitler chancellorship as well. That night, Papen spoke with Hindenburg. He was finally becoming very intrigued by the idea of a Hitler chancellorship. He liked that Hitler had seemed to soften a bit, and he liked that others were open to it. Things proceeded rapidly on the 29th. Papen saw Hitler and Nazi official Hermann Goering. They came to an understanding about the makeup of a potential cabinet. Then Papen spoke with Hugenberg and other German politicians. He was trying to get others to fully agree to a Hitler cabinet. In the new plan, Hugenberg would be economics minister a position he very much wanted. While he was opposed to the new elections that Hitler wanted, he was on board for the new cabinet. At this time, many German politicians protested against making Hitler chancellor, afraid that he was a tyrant and not to be trusted. However, Papen, Hugenberg, and others felt they were doing enough to structure the government so that they could restrain him. They believed they had enough power to keep him in check. Papen would be vice-chancellor. 
Hugenberg would be in charge of the economy. Hindenburg would still be president. Hugenberg spoke of this mindset, quote, we're boxing Hitler in, end quote. By the end of the 29th, Hitler was set to be made chancellor. It would happen the following morning. Hindenburg, after months of feeling differently, was no longer opposed. The time was set for 11 o'clock a.m., January 30th, for Hitler to be sworn in as chancellor and the new cabinet officially established. At 10.45, while Hitler was only 15 minutes away from his goal, arguments persisted on some of the particulars of the plan moving forward. The whole thing could have fallen apart. Hitler and Hugenberg disagreed about the new Reichstag elections. Hitler wanted them, but Hugenberg did not. Hugenberg was under the impression they were not part of the agreement and said he might withdraw. They kept arguing past 11 o'clock, past the time they were supposed to go in to see Hindenburg. The presidential secretary cautioned them that their debate was delaying their meeting. Finally, Hugenberg conceded, and they went in to see Hindenburg. The Reich president was annoyed that he had to wait, but proceeded with the ceremony. Hitler was officially made chancellor. It was done. Germany and the world would never be the same. That night, the Nazis and their supporters celebrated. They paraded through the streets of Berlin as Hitler watched and saluted from up above in the chancellery. Songs also broke out, including Deutschland über alles. Hitler was chancellor. He had achieved his goal, and his strategy of not compromising had somehow paid off. At a press conference that day, the Nazis acted as if Hitler's power grab would not result in German aggression. A Nazi official said, quote, The new government seeks to live in peace and friendship with all the world. End quote. Of course, as the next 12 years would prove, the Hitler Chancellorship would be anything but peaceful. It wouldn't be long before Hitler had consolidated power and completely dismantled the last vestiges of German democracy. He used a fire at the Reichstag building to pass an enabling act. Then, he killed his political rivals in a night of murder called the Night of the Long Knives. When Hindenburg passed away, Hitler officially became the, quote, Führer of Germany, fusing the presidency and the chancellorship into a new position. The destruction that Nazi rule brought to Germany, to Europe, and to the world is, unfortunately, familiar. They brought genocide upon European Jews. And they started the most destructive war in human history. It all started with Hitler becoming chancellor. Can we hold anyone accountable for putting him in charge? Or were larger forces outside the control of any one individual responsible for Hitler's chancellorship? Papen, of course, is a prime suspect given his partnership with Hitler in January of 1933. And while, yes, as we've discussed, Papen was complicit, there were others. What about Hindenburg? While he resisted Hitler's desire for the chancellorship at first, eventually he gave him the position. We could also blame Hugenberg and the many more who felt Hitler could be contained. Of course, we could also point to larger circumstantial causes for Hitler's chancellorship. The Treaty of Versailles left many Germans with a feeling that the whole world was unfairly persecuting them. Hitler's zealous nationalism appealed to these Germans. And the Great Depression caused many to long for a stronger government and a more authoritarian leader to turn the economy around. 
Whether we can blame specific people or broader circumstances, the sequence of events in January of 1933 brought about a Hitler chancellorship. For me, when I first read about how close the movement came to falling apart, I was shocked. And then when I read about the Papen Hitler discussion at Schroeder's house, I couldn't help but think the whole thing could have been avoided if not for the secret closed door meeting. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Points of No Return in History. Today marks the end of the series, Hitler Becomes Chancellor and How It Almost Didn't Happen. I am grateful for three historians whose works I have consulted for the series. This includes The Third Reich, A History of Nazi Germany by Thomas Childers, Hitler, 1889-1936 through 1936, by Ian Kershaw, and The Coming of the Third Reich by Richard J. Evans. If you have time, please rate and review the show. It really helps us out. As a programming note, in our next series, we will switch to the Pacific theater of World War II. We will explore Japan's decision to bomb Pearl Harbor. There's an argument to be made that the whole conflict could have been avoided. However, irreconcilable differences, misleading translations, and neglected stolen messages all led to disaster. Be on the lookout for a series teaser. Have a great week, everyone.